Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking Season 2. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibble, and today I'm talking with author Susan Henderson. Susan is a five-time Pushcart Prize nominee and the recipient of the Academy of American Poets Award. She's the author of the novels Up From the Blue and The Flicker of Old Dreams, her current novel. Susan hosts a variety of authors and interviews on her writer's support blog, LitPark.com. And today we're going to talk about how Susan wrote and published two books, what she's working on now, and how to navigate the social scene of writing as an introvert. Susan, welcome to the show. Hey, so glad to talk with you. So I love to hear about how people came to be a published author and more importantly about the rejections. Were there any significant moments where you dealt with rejection? How did you kind of overcome that? Uh, let's see. So the the long, hard road of getting better at your craft is, is one thing where you, you read voraciously, you find a a workshop community that understands your vision and likes your writing style but is vigorous in its feedback of your work. And then slowly you start sending your work out and revising it until it sticks. So um, you're, you're going to hit rejections. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest coping mechanism is, is really just be in a community of other people who are doing that because they understand that in order to be successful in the business, you have to take risks and you have to you have to reach high and you have to believe you can send your work to different magazines. And um, it's a subjective process, so you just have to... Um, mm-hmm. But there are some shortcuts in the business, um, if you want to hear about any, because I yeah. think you can cut... <laughs> I, I think you can cut a 20-year process down to about five if you have a few tricks under your belt. Um, mm-hmm. These are the ones I've learned. Um, Become someone who reviews books. It can be on your own blog, or it can be at a literary magazine, or even on Amazon if you get to be one of those top, what they call Vine reviewers. It's the fastest way possible to catch the attention of the publicists at the major publishing houses. And then they will start to know you. And I I guarantee if you, um, like I, I know for a fact, when you publish a review of my book um, anywhere that that can be relinked, I'm talking with my editor, my agent, my marketing director, my publicist, and they're all learning your name. Um, so it's a way of getting um, uh, friendly in-house before you even send something to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the next trick is to join Instagram. I think it's the friendliest and least time-consuming yeah. social media. <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. Well, and and also you can you can start to target communities that you've never had your foot in. Like uh, you use a hashtag. Like I don't, I don't. I wrote a book that said in Montana, but I live in New York, so I know all the New York writers. But I want, I wanted to get on the Montana um, radar, so then I can mm-hmm. start tagging bookstores in Montana and, and different things so they, they start seeing my feed. Um, and then the, the last thing is um, if you have a blog or an Instagram account, make sure the focus of that blog is the same as the focus of the book that you eventually want to submit. So let's say you've written a book about, let's say it's set in a, a circus and you once worked at a circus or you're a fanatic about attending circuses, so then all of a sudden you're, you're constantly showing pictures of, of your fanaticism and, and stuff, and you're building an audience. And this is what's called a platform. When, when you submit your book and they say, do you have a platform? It's like, yes, she wrote a book about a circus, and she's got this big blogging community and Instagram community that are all into circuses. Um, and and so it's just it's just a way to get a big leg up in the business. That's a great tip. Well, both are like fantastic because I think it's so important to build a community. And for a lot of people, they'll say things like, "I'm not in New York City" or "I don't live in a, a heavily populated." 
populated area where I can connect with people. And I always kind of giggle because I do this podcast from my home in a tiny little town (laughs) in Ontario. And there's people all over that listen to it. And authors are always so grateful for reviews. They're so, so important, not just to build Mm -hmm. that platform, like you said, but it also helps authors in their next book deal and with their publishers to see that people are reading and responding and it, it just gives everybody a leg up. So it's so, it takes so little time, but it's so helpful. Yeah. And the community is everything. I mean, you learn this because it, it, it's a career choice that, that you can get punched around pretty hard in this career mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your, your people, your tribe, your weirdo group of introverted <laughs> friends who who uh, would rather stay inside. You know, I live in New York, but um, I, re- I would rather be on the Internet also. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're all there and we're available to each other, whether you live in Kansas or whether you live in New Zealand. We, you know, we're all now so accessible to each other. Yes. Yes, and it's so much easier. Like you said, especially on Instagram, it's a more intimate community, and especially with the hashtags when you're getting to know like the towns you're writing about or if, like the specifics, a lot of people look through those and find people to connect with. So you never know who's out there watching and reading and paying attention to what you're doing, right? Yeah, and and believe me, I've been tagging every time I post about my new book, I tag mortuary. Yes, <laughs> yes. and I've, I've got all these followers that run funeral homes now, or do, they're embalmers, and and it's great. Yeah. But where would I have met them otherwise? Exactly right, and it's it's interesting because I think it's always about inviting new readers into your realm, and especially. Mm-hmm with the differences between up from the blue and then now with the flicker of old dreams, um, it's so unique and interesting. And there's, like you said, the mortuary aspect, you know, we've got the embalmer Mary and we've got the small town aspect. That's another niche, you know, people that live in these tiny little towns where everybody is very self-sufficient and you kind of, stay you kind of stick with your own when you're in these small towns Mm -hmm. and you learn from your parents and there's like these legacies so I really enjoyed that aspect of the book because I grew up in a very very tiny rural Ontario farming community and it was very much like that yeah it was very much like that and nobody you know if you were different you were different (laughs) and it was hard to know whether to stay like there's that pull to stay because of the ancestral roots and then there's that desire to leave right so I just I just had to say I love that (laughs) oh thank you so much I appreciate that what were the differences for you in your publishing experience between your first novel up from the blue to your current book, The Flicker of Old Dreams, did you have to write a book proposal or just a short query to your editor at HarperCollins? How did that work? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll walk you through the whole process. It's, it's entirely different with the first book mm-hmm. and the second book. But the um, just about your book proposal idea, the, those are for nonfiction books. And usually for mm-hmm. a nonfiction book, which I don't write, you do. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, an overview of the book plus three chapters, and you can submit it on proposal. But m- most of us writing fiction, we have we got to finish the whole darn thing and then <laughs> and then start. Yeah. So um, okay, so let's say it's your first time. If it's your first time, the process goes like this: um, you write a query letter, which is really hard. It's harder than writing the book. Um, yeah. It has to be really short. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to be able to describe your book basically in one or two phenomenal sentences. And then your bio, like we talked about before, your bio should relate to the subject of your book somehow. So if you Mm. have a veterinarian as your narrator and you blog about veterinary sciences or you work as a vet, you know, these are all things you want to include in that that query letter. And then the next thing you do is you go to several bookstores and you find the books and the section of the bookstore where you think your book, your book will fit best, you know, where you're going to share readers with these, um, the people who like these books will very likely like your book. So let's say, let's say you wrote a, a humorous memoir. Then you, you go to the section and you say, who else wrote humorous memoirs and who wrote them with as sharp an edge or tone as mine? And then, and then you 
turn to the acknowledgments page of of those books and you mm -hmm. look and and see what agent they thanked and you write that agent's name down <laughs> yeah and then for like 20 bucks a year i think you join publishersmarketplace.com and yeah. publishers marketplace is the data bank of everything about those agents and those editors and the sales they make and so now you can you can look more closely at those agents and see if they're a good fit look through their client roster giving you all the tips look through their client roster and yes. see if you have any friends that are represented yes. by that agent because that helps um, if someone can can um, set you up with an introduction and then you you do the very very scary thing which is you take your query letter and even if they say don't send pages of the manuscript you're going to send two or three of the first pages mm -hmm. um, to that agent, to several agents, and you have to remember, and, th and then this is where we just get like punched all over again, is <laughs> they, get, they, get, they get like 300 of these, and that right. doesn't even count their clients who are also like, can you read my brand new draft of something, and that doesn't count the work they do with contracts and things like that. So you're yeah. now in this giant pile, and you have to know that the agent wants nothing more than to say no to a manuscript so that they can cross something off their to-do list. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to win them over. Like if, if your story really gets going on page five, oh my God, you've got to rewrite it because you've got to interest them in that first paragraph. Right away. They're probably not, yeah, they're probably not going to read more than one or two paragraphs before they make a mm -hmm. decision to say no. Um, yes. it's, it's just the heartbreak of the business. Yeah. And then, um, so at some point, someone's like, oh, my God, I love your work. And then you can, whoever said they didn't love your work, just forget about them. One person loves your work, and then that's your agent. And so now um, that person's going to tell you how to improve your manuscript. And then you go out on submission, and, and then it's like, thank God you have so much experience with rejection because because this is like – this is the whole process. It's like waiting, yeah. waiting, waiting, and then rejection. And sometimes it's like waiting six months, eight months, and then uh, dice rejections, close calls, mean, cold reject. you know, the whole thing. Um, and at some point, someone might take your book. So that, that's the process. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the process for the, fir the first time out. So for the second time, the process is way kinder. So um, HarperCollins had bought my first book. Um, and it was a Target and a Costco pick, and so it had a good sales record. And so mm -hmm. that means that HarperCollins had what's called first right of refusal um, for my next book. And so mm -hmm. when my agent and I thought my manuscript was ready, we, um, we came up with a list of editors and um, publishers that we thought would be a good fit for, for this new book. But I went to HarperCollins first. They happened to make a nice offer, and so we didn't, we didn't do the the next steps and it and it was way shorter and it was and you know all the people in house and you know, you know so it's it just gets easier but it's um that first time out is just really hard mhm mm yeah and i mean it's it's a huge journey of being resilient of knowing that you just have to get back up and send it back out there you know there's oh some God, authors yeah. that have talked about you know hundreds of rejections before getting one person to say they want to take a look at it so it's really yeah. it's it's hard to remain that perseverance especially when you you believe so strongly in your own work and you've gotten it to this point and then it's just like you're just refreshing your email every few seconds <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, perseverance is everything because it, I yeah. know it gets like we got to have the the community that that keeps us from drowning. <laughs> you know. Yes. So you you know I've been reading over your blog. I love it at lippark.com. And you mentioned on it that you aren't great at parties, and I know a big part of the New York City book scene is that there's so many events in which us introverted types kind of gather. We stare at each other awkwardly and try to navigate the room <laughs> of who's who in publishing. And we're just like praying we don't have something in our teeth or, you know, somebody brings up a book and you haven't read it and you're just like frozen. How do you handle the literary scene? Do you prefer to avoid the parties and events and connect more as an interviewer on your blog? Or do you, you know, stick with like the indie bookstores over the larger 
Yeah, so um, anytime I can choose between, like, the Internet and my pajamas or <laughs> going out and like, putting on mascara or something, um, I'm yeah. always going to choose pajamas. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be someone who's awesome at a party. I'm always going to be that mm-hmm. person in the back corner um, looking at yeah. my shoes or talking to, like, talking to the one person I know and they're, yeah. they're trying to talk <laughs> to the whole room. And I'm like, oh, my God, don't go away because then I don't know anyone. Um, yeah. But there are um, – I do encourage writers to go, whatever community that you live in, find um, your your indie bookstores, mm-hmm. get a list of the um, the readings and the programs they have there, and go. Just go and support that that poor introvert standing at the microphone trying to read their work out loud yeah. <laughs> when they when they don't like hearing their own voice um, mm-hmm. and and start to be a part of that community and and what you'll find not in not in every city definitely in New York I mean if you the shortcut in New York bookstore and that's where all the agents and the editors are sitting in the audience and they will get to know mm-hmm. you if you're a regular attendant but. Even if you're in some little tiny farming community and stuff, somewhere in that town is a bookstore, and that's where your people are. And that bookstore is going to put on events that are very poorly attended. You know, it's going to be like seven people turn out to hear this person read their poetry. Go, um, because mm-hmm. they're they're all going to be introverts. They're all going to be people that would rather be in their yeah. pajamas and they don't actually <clears throat> know how to put on mascara because they never leave the house. And um, <laughs> just just meet those people in that room and, and you'll, it, I feel like it's the way it's, it's not only a clever little career move because you will find all the people, you know, in the end booksellers and librarians um, own your career. Like they, they have such power in a good way and they're good people, but Mm -hmm. support, support these small communities because they, they are for the arts and you yeah. find your people there. You you will be the first one to hear about. Um, we're putting together uh, together an anthology, or um, we'd like to do a reading, and we'd like to include you. And and you know, go out. You, you can be a hermit. You know, all all the rest of them. <laughs> go to that. Go to the one or two readings they offer, and just you know, just just get to know your people. Yeah. It's such great advice because I feel like there's uh, in every community, there is a smaller little subcultures of people that, and they're really supportive. They'll be your biggest fans. They'll love to support your work and to have you read in their stores. I find the indie bookstores are amazing because they are so Mm -hmm. incredibly supportive. They promote like crazy, like, and following them on Instagram is great too, because you get to get a feel for the vibe of the store, what they like, if there's a certain theme or, and then when it comes around to your time to publish and do readings and organize those kinds of events, you know, you have a connection with them and a rapport. So it's more authentic and not just showing up to say, I want something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they need us to keep alive too, especially in the agent yeah. Amazon yeah. Who, who you know the these little bookstores they feel like we do as writers you know they feel the the low turnout they're struggling to make money they're in it for their heart only because there's not a lot of good sense in becoming a writer or becoming an indie bookstore owner we're all in it because our our gut says to be there and we want to support the art so i just feel like it's a two-way relationship yeah It definitely is. And I think, too, like for a lot of people, and especially, you know, as a fellow introvert, (laughs) networking can be difficult because it feels icky to even say network. And I think it's nice to speak with other people that understand and know, like, we just love books so much. And we just love talking about them. And and writing is our passion and, and that kind of thing. So it's really such an easy community to kind of get yeah. to know one another and and make lifelong friends within it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, for when you were, when you began um, writing your second book and you did a ton of research, did mm-hmm. you have a plan for marketing put in place? Did you know that you would be doing the majority of planning for marketing or did the publisher handle the majority of that for you? 
So in general, a lot of people think if you um, get picked up by a big publishing house that you've got the entire machine behind you. Mm-hmm. But they, yes. um, and it does help. Honestly, it's it's a lot easier. They have a bigger budget than you know mm-hmm. than the the small presses who are sometimes putting out just incredible work, but they, um, it's, it's much more on a shoestring budget. Um, but there's also, you know, there's the big authors in your house and then there's like little you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're, you know, most of us don't get the poster at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> most of us don't, don't get the New York times, um, front page review where they where they make a cartoon of your face you know with, with the little dotted yeah. you know um, <laughs> and, and, stuff. And, and so for most of us down to um have we been good citizens in the community mm-hmm. um do you have good relationships with with other writers with other bloggers with other booksellers with other librarians and um have you like, are you looking, just like what you said before, like, are you looking at people in terms of networking or, or are these actual relationships that, you, that you've formed over time that's not all about, will you buy my book, but it's about, I care about you as a member of my community. I care about your bookstore mm-hmm. because I love what you do. Um, yeah. So, but, but I think for all of us, it, it does come down to the kind of the awful thing that none of us have the the stomach for, which is um, <laughs> trying to talk about talk about ourselves and our um, yes. our projects a lot more than what we want to. And um, but but I think the easiest thing to do is if you have support from a blogger, from a podcast, or something, then then when you share that review that they wrote or or that podcast that they um, posted. You're also helping them, so it yes. it doesn't become a selfish act. You're actually it's actually a part of the generosity of the communities. Because if if you interview me and I never share it, that's not very nice to you, you know. So <laughs> yeah. so I, I so I think we're, we're all trying to raise each other's um, yeah whatever our profiles and communities are. We're tr- we're trying to give each other you know airspace. Exactly. And it is, it's so important. I mean, I have a lot of people that will reach out sometimes and they'll say, what should I do? What should I do? And I'm like, be a part of your community. Like we've been talking about, you know, help other people and doing that just makes you feel better. You know, it's fun to get excited for people's book deals. I know, you Mm -hmm. know, when people are first starting out, they're like, oh my God, it's never going to happen for me. And everybody and their brothers like announcing these book deals. And I'm like, but that means it's it's even more possible (laughs) for you now. And that's what I always say. I'm like the more people that get a book deal and then you celebrate the more it's going to happen and it it's like a it's like a chain reaction I feel because everybody's so willing to share each other's essays that get published and interviews yeah. and you know when books are on pre-order which is another thing maybe we can talk about for a second yeah is yeah. that it's so important pre-orders are crucial for authors and I feel like the general public is is leery and they don't often um, push pre-order because they don't want to spend the money and wait several months. But for mm-hmm. authors, that really pushes and lets the publisher know that it's in higher demand. It pushes up the budget for the publicity if they see that it's yep. getting a lot of buzz ahead of time. So did you really push for pre-orders and did you have any sort of plan in place or anything that you did in terms of that? Uh, we always, so pre-orders are so important. So the reason why pre-orders are important is one, if you ever want even a shot at making a bestseller list of any sort or indie next pick or anything like that, it's all based on your Mm -hmm. pre-orders. Your bestseller stuff, it's all about how many orders did you sell basically in that first day, that first week, and that counts the pre-orders. So it's that, but it's also, um, it, and also if you want to get, you know, audio rights or, or like you said, more, yeah. more money towards your publicity. Um, mm-hmm. But pre-orders matter because let's say I put out a book, so I put out my book in March. If they put it in a, a big store like Barnes & Noble, um, you only get three months in that mm-hmm. store to show that you can sell. And if you don't yeah. sell, all the books that don't sell actually get pulped because it's yes. – so, so they basically just, like, 
put them in water and like you know <laughs> they basically like make paper mache out of them um, because it's more expensive for them to send it back to the publisher. So those are mm-hmm. just a low. So if if my book comes out in March, you're know, like that's so great. I'm gonna buy it at Christmas. Yeah, um, my book might not stay alive because of that choice. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we if we have several people making that same choice because that the first day pre-orders the, the before the first day the first day and the first three months are basically determine the life of your book you know word of mouth also matters yeah. reviews and stuff like that but but it's it's going to be limping from from mm-hmm. then on after that first three months if it doesn't take off well and that's I always um try to encourage people if you buy the book ahead of time and you get the pre order and you love it, mm-hmm. go buy in the in the week that it debuts. Please go buy a yeah. few copies, gift them, leave them in little libraries yeah. around your town because it it helps. Like every little sale helps. And even if you can only buy an extra copy, you know, here and there and, you know, pass them on to people, it's it's such a huge help. And I know I've done that. Mm -hmm. And I like, I'll take a picture and say, I left this book here. It's brand new. Like, here's a, here's a copy, go check it out. And, and people love it because it's like a treasure hunt. Right. And so those are, you know, just a little thing you can do, but it is, it's, it's good for people to know that those first three months Mm -hmm. are so important and that, you know, even the first day, like ordering those books and not waiting to order because the the other things, to do to to give back to the author are um, post reviews. Buy from indie bookstores and then mm-hmm. post the review on Amazon. That's always what I say. Yeah. Buy, you support yes. the indie bookstores. And if you don't have a local indie bookstore, you go to um oh my god, what is it called? Um, the indie bookstore link where you can where you can support indie bookstores and yes. basically get it in the mail. Um, indie band. <laughs> Yes, I was like, I'm like, I know, but I can't place it. <laughs> I know. So IndieBound.org. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So and um, so you can order but, from the store, and they'll mail it. To yeah, you. but always, if you love a book, if you don't love a book, shut up about it. But if you if you love a book, yeah. If you love a book, post an Amazon review because a lot of people ask, you know, how come your book's not on audio? And it's like because yes. I don't have enough Amazon reviews. You know, Very those positive point. Amazon reviews mean that you get more foreign sales. It means that you get audio sales and, and yes. stuff like that. So, um, you know, we we got to support our people. And, and again, if I read a book and I can't finish it, if I read a book and I it's not my cup of tea, I will never, ever, ever say anything negative about it in any public yes. Form because of, because this road is just too hard, you know. Exactly, and it's so you know it goes back to if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. for authors, you know, and I've watched as friends have published and they and they refresh the page and they're reading reviews and they're like, oh my gosh, somebody just ripped it, and I'm like, yeah. Hey, and the thing is. People can be having a bad day and just decide to be miserable. And so it's yeah. usually it has nothing to do with the book or the author. It's just somebody wanting to pick something apart. And But yeah. it, it is. It's heartbreaking for authors when you get a negative review and you try not to dwell. But it's hard because, <laughs> you know, you well. could get 55 <laughs> stars and you get one, like, two star or something like that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that one review has ruined my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's funny how we only have a memory for those those bad ones. Yeah. So because, you know, we have a vast amount of people that listen from all over the world that tune in here. And what would you recommend as like your top tips? I mean, you, you mentioned Instagram and, and connecting with people and that kind of thing. But if they can't network or if their town is really mm-hmm. so small that there isn't a bookstore or there isn't like a writing community, what do you recommend for them in terms of building a platform that's authentic and feels comfortable and and to connect with people. Okay, so again, there's ways to to take a 20-year process and cut it mm-hmm. down to 5. Yeah. And so here's another here's another thing. Find the literary blogs that speak to you and mm-hmm. post comments. Post comments yes. and become a part of that community. Do not write blogger privately. Um, mm-hmm. do not just contemplate what they said privately. Um, yeah. you want to 
post a public review because one, that helps their blog. It helps their blog get stats. Um, but also, you're forming a relationship with the blogger and all the bloggers' readers. And so um, it's the easiest, fastest way to form a community. And now if you, and also retweet their blogs and retweet their posts because they will notice you and their publishers will notice you. So it's just a way of like, you know, getting way in front of the line in terms of, you know, um, visibility. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also genuine because you're actually, you genuinely like this blog. You genuinely want to comment. Don't do it fake. Um, and yes. also, if you if you comment on a blog and you never, ever hear from that blogger, move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yes. Um, yeah. there, there are snobby and cliquish people in this business. Most aren't, you know, and, and even the yeah. snobby and cliquish people get rejected and, and you feel all the same things we feel. But um, there are so many people who are accessible and friendly and welcoming and find them yeah. and just be, um, be that person who reposts blog posts, reposts their podcasts, mm-hmm. um, makes public comments on their podcast, rates their podcasts mm-hmm. on iTunes. You know, you can you can do all those things to support your community and it and it does, you know, it's not just like a good karma thing, but it is. Um, but it's also you you are honestly like everyone who's ever posted a comment on my blog, I know them. You know, I want mm-hmm. their success. There are people that yeah. read my blog I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. so they might get something out of my blog, but I I don't have a relationship with them because I don't know who they are. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I find that too, even on Instagram as well, when somebody takes the time to comment, because so many people just scroll, they'll like, you know, they'll like it, but they'll keep scrolling. Yeah. So if somebody takes yeah. the time and energy to comment, like respond to them. <laughs> it's so, yes. And it's yes. so nice as a person that goes around and leaves comments and tries to, to lift people up to have someone respond and not to waste the time if you're constantly trying to support somebody if they're never responding to you or or interacting. That's just not your yeah, people, we, right? We, we like have so said. many opportunities to feel invisible in our career choice. Yeah. So it's like don't, if, if you, don't go out of your way to find more ways to feel invisible and overlooked. Exactly, exactly. I mean, when you got the idea for the flicker of old dreams, how did you Mm -hmm. go about shaping the story? Because I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear how the book goes from an idea to getting onto the page and, and formed into this intricate tale involving all these characters and their, and their stuff. So I always feel like, especially with fiction, I'm like, there's got to be some truth somewhere in this story. So it makes it a little more juicy because you think there's got to be little things that it's based on. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm always fascinated with this too. Um, So with the flicker of old dreams, um, my first impulse to write this book was, um, I know you live in Canada, but you probably noticed there's this growing rage and division between one American and another here. Mm-hmm. Um, and most yeah. of it is kind of complicated and, and exacerbated by politics. So I thought, okay, I don't want to write anything political, but if I remove politics from the equation, what is it we're trying to say to each other? And is there a way for me to help open up and facilitate that dialogue? between us. Um, so that that was my impulse, that maybe we disagree vigorously about some things, but maybe maybe there are places where we can empathize with each other again or hear each other again in, in a non-political way. So that was the impulse, and that sent me back to a town I knew well from my childhood, which was this, this little town of 180 people, a ranching community where um, I used to visit my, my grandparents and and my cousins when I was a kid. And so to make a really long story short, um, I decided that I wanted to tell the story about a way of life in America mm-hmm. that's dying away and, and the grief and the rage involved in, in seeing that, that way of life die. And mm-hmm. um, I decided to tell the story um, through the lens of a mortician because I felt like, well, I'm not going to be yeah. afraid of death and she'll know how to tell the story with dignity and compassion. And so that mm-hmm. that's kind of like in a nutshell, I guess that's, um, that's kind of the impulse and, and the shape of the book. Mm-hmm. And then did you find like, as you were writing the characters, did, 
did they sort of, you know, they evolve and they form their personalities as you're writing them. Were there any that you had very specific plans for that completely evolved into something unexpected? (laughs) Um, The only thing I actually knew for sure is I wanted to um, put two ideas into conflict. People in this community that fear change and people in this community that are desperate for change. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to put them in conflict, but then who ended up turning up w- was entirely kind of that weird process <laughs> of writing where you wake up in the middle of the night and you have a character or you, um, for example, Doris, the, the terminally ill mother that is in the story. I just needed a, a reason for someone to, to return to that town who didn't have a, any other good reason mm-hmm. to return to the town. And yes. um and she just became a force. She was just like, hey, I want more screen time. <laughs> you know? so, so she she just ended up, you know, filling more pages. And I was like, okay, I'll go with this. I like her, you know. So mm-hmm. um, there, there's your plans and then there's the characters uh, take a life, of, take on a life of their own. And, and pretty soon you're following them rather than them taking orders from you. <laughs> now, when you write, do you have like a form of organizing your work while you're writing that you find helpful? Do you write a little bit each day or do you binge write? Do you use cue cards? You know, everybody has different processes. That are um, kind of in stone with me. One is that I research like crazy. I basically just submerge myself in things related to the book. So um, for the flicker of old dreams, I maybe I would binge on um, movies set in snowstorms, so I could just you know yeah. think about snow a lot. Or um, it, or I went to the town and lived there for a month, so I could just sort of experience what's it like to be in a town that has no internet or cell phone. Um, what's it like to to feel disconnected from the media and um, so my main process is researching, and I I usually don't write a single word when I'm researching. I often research for like a year. I really I'm not a believer in writing stuff that I want to throw away. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a reader in like word count or anything like that. When I do write, my other weird thing is um, I can't think when I sit. <laughs> so um, I, I pretty much do 100% of my writing, not my editing, but my writing while walking. Um, and I have an app on my phone that um, that just records me talking. So mm-hmm. I'll leave the house and I'll say, you know, but before I come home again, I'm going to figure out the opening scene to this book. And I just go walk. And if I I'm not allowed to go home. This is my rule to myself. I'm not allowed to go home <laughs> until until I have an idea. But I always yeah. find if I if I leave with a question, the answer will come. The question's the hard part. So come up with a question and then just go walking. And I just find like that just gets my brain working and it reminds me to, to not sit all day. I pet all the dogs in my neighborhood. I just kind of, you know, and, and then pretty soon it's like, oh, I know how this story should open and I'll, I'll record something, and then usually once I record one thing, it just starts opening up, like gives me more ideas for the next scene or for a character. Um, so that so that's what I do, and then I go home and I eventually listen to all this stuff and type it in. But sometimes I let it sit there for months. Before <laughs> That's awesome. You mentioned earlier with um, Up From the Blue was a Target and Costco pick. How did that work for you? Was it just, is it random? Is it just dependent on reviews? How how did that happen? I don't know how that happened except for Target. (laughs) They sent a representative to HarperCollins when I had my marketing meeting. So that's when you meet with um, your editor, your agent, your publicist, your marketing director, the library director of marketing, you know, all, the, all these people that are sitting at this big intimidating table talking about your book and how to sell it and how to pitch it. And they happened to be there, um, and they, they liked it and picked it. They picked um, Target picks 20 books every three months. 
Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the the amazing thing about Target, one, they just, I don't know how, like I've never gone to Target and bought a book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, they, but they know how to sell them and they turn them all face out, which matters. Yes, um, yes. And they, and they they moved like thirty thousand in that first month or two, you know. So, so they just they just know how to turn books around. My book didn't do nearly as well as Costco because basically they put your book in a stack, mm-hmm. in a table full of stacks. So it's kind of like this bad yes. rummage sale. Um, and yeah. then in the stacks are like James Patterson, you know, people that you've heard of. Yes. And then and then there would be like five of mine, <laughs> you know, I just, I just don't think when I go to Costco, it's for like the little free things to eat on toothpicks. So yeah. it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if like that's where great book letters yeah. go, but, but um, I feel like a lot of this stuff, you know, you, you hope for the best and mm-hmm. you put feelers out and you, um, yeah. you make nice connections with people and then whatever happens, happens. And, um, it, it's a lot about, um, oh, my God, it's just a lot about trying not to be depressed with how far you fall from your, your wild dreams of um, who, you, who you wanted to be in the world and, and the big splash you wanted your book to make. And, and, mm-hmm. you, and I find that the way that you don't get depressed besides having your community is that you just remember, um, just, just focus back on one relationship at a time. You know, when I'm standing yeah. in this bookstore, um, like a, like a Turn of the Corkscrew, which is my home bookstore, um, where they sell wine, which is why I, I go there. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And, and I know in the bookstore is Carol Honig. And I, it's like I when I'm in her store, I'm not thinking about anything but me and Carol and Turn of the Corkscrew and this little space and whoever came out, uh, you know, when my book launched, it happened to be a blizzard. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, those blessed people that came out in a blizzard to hear about my book, it's like if you just pay attention to them, yeah. one reader, one bookseller, one librarian at a time, you will have a much better life. Um, mm-hmm. If you think about, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, you will always be um, falling yeah. short and kind of measuring yourself as, as a failure. hmm yeah, and I think sometimes it's it, especially with the book pro- like publishing process and and everything that happens with everybody I've spoken to, you know, there's always unexpected surprises. So was there anything that you, you know, was there any sort of unexpected good surprise that happened to you that really stood out and and was and felt heartwarming and and great? Um, I think the biggest surprise in terms of um you know the the stuff that actually probably doesn't matter that much is there's this place called Bookbub. I hadn't heard of it before, but it, it basically mm-hmm. they they make your book cost nothing on yes. Kindle, and then and then more people buy it. And um, for like two days, <laughs> and I took screenshots because I was like, I'm gonna remember this. For two <laughs> days, I was the number one bestseller in literature on Kindle, and I was the third most popular literary author with number one being Margaret Atwood. And I was just like, okay, this is awesome. But yes. it's also it's not very real. It's not, it's not real. You know, um, Margaret Atwood is still um, on that list and, and I'm not, and someone else is taking their screenshots now. But, um, but the stuff that is real is like, um, there was this, there was this fun piece of my book tour that I did with a, with another writer friend of mine, Amy Wallen. She had written a memoir um, that also centered a lot about death. And so we mm-hmm. decided to do this kind of death tour. So we ended up I love in it. Um, a lot. Of, <laughs> it was awesome. And we went at stuff in a lot of places, but one of them was in Massachusetts. We went to um, an assisted living home where people wanted to have a frank conversation about death and burial and mm-hmm. stuff. So we didn't talk about our books one bit. We just talked yeah. the whole night with people about death and dying and our fears and um, the things that we wished we could tell the, the peoples in our family that we love what our wishes are mm-hmm. or what our fears are. And um, that was like, like, I didn't see that coming. But, you know, when mm-hmm. I was planning my, 
my tour. I didn't know I was going to be doing things like that. And it and it was yeah. such a gift to not talk about my book for an entire <laughs> night, even though I was on book tour. Like yeah. we were just talking person to person, and I and I just feel like every time I remember like just the person standing in front of me, the person who owns the store or the library that invited me, when I just focus on them, it's like, this is a nice life, you know? Yes, yes. I love that. It's so true. Is there anyone within the book community that you would just love to give a heartfelt shout out to that's really helped you through the process of writing and publishing and touring to promote your work and just a great support? Oh my God. So that, that would be Ron Block. He's a librarian in Cleveland and he's an enthusiastic reader an amazing human. And he's just been so good to this book, but also he feels like my, like my long lost cousin. I I went ahead and went out to Cleveland and did an event with him. And I just felt like, like we've got to be related somehow because I I love him so much. And and then the other is um, there's this woman Virginia Stanley. She's the in-house librarian, um, the director of library library marketing at mm-hmm. HarperCollins. And um, I, I guess I have a thing for librarians. But those <laughs> like if nothing else happened with this book, my interaction with those two and how deeply they they appreciated me and my book and librarians and stuff. I just, they were worth everything. Yes. Oh, I love that. So now that, you know, we've talked about the two novels and we've talked about all this other stuff, is there something special you're working on now? Is there anything that's sort of in the works or getting close to that point? So I'm back in my research stage, and there's mm-hmm. um, down the street from me, there's this abandoned asylum that was here. Basically, the town was um, founded around this asylum, and there were once oh. 10,000 patients in it, and now it's, it's emptied out. So um, yeah. now it's now it's like this place that all the, the teenagers break into. Yeah. And so I'm... <laughs> So I know I know my next story is there, and I've started um, finding all the people that used to work there and listening to their stories. So I've been talking to the locksmith who used to work in the building, and, oh, wow. and the um, the night ward, and the you know the adolescent ward charge, and old patients, and um, uh, someone who was born there. And I'm oh, talking wow. to them, and I'm I'm talking to the graffiti artists and um, the ghost hunters and everything. And I don't yes. I have no idea what I'm going to write, but it's like I'm just but it's I'm like immersing. It's yeah, I'm just I'm immersing myself in something that I'm just endlessly fascinated and curious about. And I know, I know I'll write a great story set there, but don't know what it's going to be yet. <laughs> what is one book that you're reading and just loving or a book that you would say if it's just one you would recommend it over and over and over oh my god one book um I know it's so hard so, to say just one <laughs> I know I read like two or three a week um let me go with poetry because poetry never gets a shout out and it's actually it's it's the yes it's my my warm spot for literature. In the end, I um, I love poetry best. Um, there's a book called Nineteen Varieties of Gazelle, Gazelle, mm-hmm. Gazelle, Nineteen Varieties of Gazelle, and it's a book of um, poetry about the Middle East by um, Naomi Shihab Nye, N Y E, and um, I don't know. It's 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 sharp and it's soothing and it's soaring and it's it's probably the only I read so much poetry and I think it's the only collection where I've ever read where there's not a single dud in the whole collection and um, (laughs) because I read a lot of poetry I know that a lot of poetry is not accessible to people that kind of don't know the form but this is so accessible like you could give it to a teenager and it's so powerful and just it's just stunning, and I love it so much. And I, I haven't met anyone else who's read it yet, so um, <laughs> I'm going to say 19 Varieties of Gazelle. 
Love that. So as we're kind of winding down our time, um, I always like to ask authors if you could hop in a time machine and go back and give your pre-published self some advice or something to tell yourself something before the process started, what would you say to Susan Henderson before all of this? (laughs) Uh, It gets better. (laughs) Um, I, I would say that every single thing that looked like devastating failure the close calls, the your best friend got something that you didn't get, the um, every single thing was actually a stepping stone to, to reaching success. Every single thing oh. that looked like failure at the time actually led you to success. It led you to the deeper work and it led you to the, the more, the kinder and, and more real community that, that ended up being everything. So that, that's what I would say to her. That's beautiful. So good. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much, Susan, for being here, for sharing your wisdom, your experience, your beautiful words from both of your novels are phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to what comes out of this this research that's happening right now. It sounds so spooky and so fun. So we'll definitely (laughs) have to have you back and talk about it. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. And thank you for tuning in. Literary Speaking will return next week for more tips and tricks on how to write and publish your book. If you're enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. Also, you can find Susan Henderson online at litpark.com. That's www.litpark.com. Her latest novel, The Flicker of Old Dreams, is available for purchase where all fine books are sold. Please, please make sure you leave a review for our authors on Goodreads and Amazon. So until next time, hand to heart, pen to paper, write on. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.